0: Tonight, we'll be reading from the book entitled Srimad Bhagavatam. And this book is said to be the fruit of the tree of Vedic knowledge. Every tree has an ultimate purpose, and that is to produce a fruit. So in the literatures which are written specifically to regulate humans in their sojourn here in this world, so that they can live happily, and then ultimately attain perfection spiritually. There are many different kinds of instructions. But as is the consensus of the greatest spiritual teachers, the Srimad Bhagavatam gives the essence of all teachings and takes us to the ultimate goal of the Vedas in this one book. So. We're in this second canto there's out of 12, and we're starting on the third chapter. And I'll read some of it, and then we can have a discussion so that we can churn the subject matter and try to extract even more of the most important lessons. So this is a conversation between Shukadev Goswami, who was a self-effulgent teacher who had himself left home just after he was born. Of course, he waited a long time. He was in the womb for quite some time, didn't want to come out. And then finally, when he did, he left because he didn't want to be entangled in the material world. However, he came back to learn this particular book from his father because he could ascertain, I'm not attached to anything in this world. However, the sound vibration of this book attracts my heart and mind. Therefore, it must be transcendental, and that's one of the main important themes: is that there are positive activities in spiritual life. But spiritual life doesn't mean to negate material material things and material desires, and then come to a standstill. Because how long can one stay at a standstill? Let's ask kids how long is it possible to stay still in one day without moving or doing anything what is your opinion how how long could you stay still one day without talking or doing anything all day long you three have an opinion Five minutes? Five minutes is a lot. (laughs) I couldn't do that. (laughs) But you're a great yogi, great yogini. So we can't stay still, but we don't have to, because it's not our nature. And not only that, there are positive activities in spiritual life. So the Srimad Bhagavatam is talking about the positive activities. Shrikadeva Goswami learned about these, and he's teaching a king named Pariksit. Pariksit was the emperor. However, he got cursed to die within seven days. So what would you do if you had seven days to live? No, seriously, what would you do? Just a few ideas. Prabhu, give him a mic. We want to hear this.
1: Ensure my will is in place perfectly. You would what? Ensure the
0: will is in place perfectly. Make sure Motel Gita is in place.
1: (laughs) No, I said will, will.
0: I know, but I said Motel Gita. (laughs) So, um, anybody else? Actually, it should already be in place, in case anybody that, You should have a revocable living trust and... All your money going to book distribution after you leave okay Um, anyone else what would you do if you had seven days to live like right now if the phone call came
1: yeah after uh, learning so much about bhakti i would definitely say you know chant and hear srimad Bhagavatam. okay
0: non-stop for seven days as much as possible okay and that's a good point as much as possible everyone has a capacity Like um, some can sit for five minutes quietly. I could sit for maybe five seconds. And there's a capacity we develop for spiritual activity by practice. And so it's important. One of the the teachings of the Srimad Bhagavatam, one of the important lessons is that we should practice during lifetime. Because Pariksha, the king, when he got the news that he had seven days to live, went and sat down in a sacred place and wanted to ascertain, what should I do now? And many people came, just like if you get a common cold, everyone will come and tell you, I know what to do. You just um, take grapefruit seed extract or somebody else will say you have to sit under steam. Many different opinions. So many people had opinions about what Pariksit Maharaj should do at the time of death. But then the self-effulgent teacher, Shukadev Goswami, came and everyone, even the elders, stood up to give him respect. They knew his lineage. He sat down and he began to tell Pariksit Maharaj what to do. But not before Pariksit asked. He said, what is the duty of one who's about to die? And so the reason this book is pertinent is because we're all about to die in relative terms. I mean, it's A hundred years isn't much, and if you take away the other kinds of activities that we have to do just to maintain ourselves, you end up just with a little bit of time. So, Prikshit Maharaj now is sitting, listening to Shukadev Goswami, who began in this canto by describing how one should be able to fix one's mind on God at the time of death. And then one might say, like, well, how do I see God? So then Maharaj shares from Shukadev Goswami that there's gradual progression. First, Shukadev describes pantheism, how you see God everywhere within nature. And then he said, you can actually look at the universe as the form of God, like the trees or the hairs on the body, the veins or the rivers. And the birds are the artistic sense of the Lord. Those are the three, three I always say. And uh, I appreciate them. Then he said yogis can see the form of God within the heart. If you look devotionally within the heart, you can see the form of God there. And then he described how God's a person and through devotional service, especially by hearing. This is the first process of bhakti yoga, and it's called shravanam. And it means that if you lend yourself to hearing, go sit in the place where there are topics about God and listen and just try to pay attention. And if you do, then miraculously, there's a change of heart. The sound vibration goes in the ears, into the heart, and then we change. We improve. So this is what Preekshit's doing right now. He's hearing from Shukadev Goswami. And incidentally, the name of this chapter that we're starting today is Pure Devotional Service, The Change in Heart. Shukadev begins like this. "Marj Prikshit, as you have inquired from me as to the duty of the intelligent man who is on the threshold of death, so I have answered you. Commentary. In human society all over the world there are millions and billions of men and women and almost all of them are less intelligent because they have very little knowledge of spirit soul. Almost all of them have a wrong conception of life for they identify themselves with the gross and subtle material bodies which they are not in fact. They must be situated in different high and low positions in the estimation of human society. But one should know definitely that unless one inquires about his own self beyond the body and the mind, all his activities in human life are total failures. Therefore, out of thousands and thousands of men, one may inquire about his spirit self and thus consult the revealed scriptures like Vedanta Sutras, Bhagavad Gita, and Srimad Bhagavatam. But in spite of reading and hearing such scriptures, unless one is in touch with a realized spiritual master, he cannot actually realize the nature, the real nature of the self, etc. And out of thousands and hundreds of thousands of men, someone may know that Lord Krishna is, in fact, what Krishna is, in fact. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is said that Lord Krishna, out of his causeless mercy, prepared the Vedic literatures in the incarnation of Vyasadeva for reading by the intelligent class of men in a a human society which is almost totally forgetful of the genuine relation with Krishna. Even such an intelligent class of men may be forgetful in their relation with the Lord. The whole bhakti yoga process is therefore a revival of the lost relation. This revival is possible in the human form of life which is obtained only out of the evolutionary cycle of 8,400,000 species of life the intelligent class of human being must take a serious note of this opportunity not all human beings are intelligent so the importance of human life is not always understood therefore manishinam meaning thoughtful is particularly used here a manishinam person like Maharishi Prikshit, must therefore take to the lotus feet of Lord Krishna and fully engage himself in devotional service, hearing, chanting, etc., of the holy name and pastimes of the Lord, which are all hari katamritam. This action is especially recommended when one is preparing for death. So, as mentioned in this purport, there's various objectives that people have for their lives. And there's also ways that we consider people in various statuses according to how much money they have or what kind of culture they come from and so forth. But according to the opinion of these transcendental teachings, unless one has a clear idea about the ultimate purpose of life, which has nothing to do with accumulating anything material in this life or getting any kind of status, then uh, one's missed the point of life. A simple person who has a sincere desire to know the purpose of life and takes up the practice of devotional service, which is a direct way of being in touch with Krishna or God, that person is considered to be the best of all. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna mentions this phenomenon that although there are millions, billions of people in the world, very few of them are interested in spiritual pursuit. Most people, even if they do have some interest spiritually, are too busy to do much about it. And so, he appreciates that there are some who are very sincere and then give themselves with full attention to the practice of devotional service it doesn't mean of course that one has to give up one's occupation but it means that one prioritizes the spiritual practice considering that the most important aspect of life because after all no matter whatever we whatever we accumulate in this lifetime and no matter whatever status we attain in this life will be erased when we leave this body. It's all in relationship to the body. However, if one makes spiritual advancement, that is a, an asset that we keep permanently. In the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna had this question to Krishna, what if I take to spiritual life and its practice, but then somehow or other I fall short? I'm not able to make it all the way. I only make it part way. Will I be, he used this example, like a riven cloud. You're watching a cloud, a part of it breaks off. It goes away from the of cloud and then perishes. In other words, it just diffuses into the air and becomes nothing. He said, will I become like that? And Krishna said, absolutely not. If you try for spiritual life, whatever advancement you make will be permanent, so much so that you'll take up where you left off in the next life, if you don't make it as far as you needed to, in your next life, you'll be automatically attracted to spiritual practice and you'll be given the facility. Means, how did I get into association of people who are practicing and how did I meet them and why was I interested in the first place? And Krishna says that's because of Purva Samskar. Samskar means there's an impression that I have, I carry with me in my subconscious mind. And it comes from before. Purva means before. And I remember it. And Krishna himself says throughout the Bhagavad Gita that I'm within your heart, Arjuna. I'm in the hearts of everyone. And I'm directing whatever happens to you. Directing based on what? On our own desire. If I have a desire for... Being happy in the material world, Krishna will give us, give me intelligence how to do that. Uh, I can accumulate things. Of course, he also warns in the Bhagavad Gita, whatever kinds of accumulation you make here will be lost because this material world is like an ocean. A wave comes in and then there's a group of bubbles. And then the bubbles look like they have some organized system. They're all hanging out together and then the wave goes out again and all the bubbles pop. So in the Srimad Bhagavatam, many sages describe how the ways we've organized, for instance, our cities, We may think Coit Tower is an iconic landmark and so is or was the World Trade Center. So these iconic landmarks come and go. Even great emperors, like, as mentioned by Percy Bysshe Shelley, the poet who talked about Ozymandias, and then describes his huge stone statue that he had made for himself as the emperor, telling everyone, look at me in despair, because I'm the almighty, I rule all of you. And then his statue was broken at the knees and lying in the sand and withered away by the blasting winds, and the desert stretches on forever, and where's Ozymandias now? Gone. So an intelligent person isn't one necessarily who figures out how to make a steam engine that will save energy on ships, and then makes billions of dollars, and then loses it, and leaves this world with nothing in his or her hands, or even people who become great philanthropist, but it's somebody who understands the ultimate goal of life, which is to understand the difference between matter and spirit, and that there's a way to, to fully develop my original relationship with Krishna or God, even in this lifetime, if I use my life properly. I'm going to read one more verse in purport, and then we can have some reflections. One who desires to be absorbed in the impersonal Brahmajyoti, effulgence, should worship the master of the Vedas, Lord Brahma or Brihaspati, the learned priest. One who desires powerful sex should worship the heavenly King Indra. And one who desires good progeny should worship the great progenitors called the Prajapatis. One who desires good fortune should worship Durga Devi, the superintendent of the material world. One who desires to be very powerful should worship fire. And one who who aspires after money should worship the Vasus. One should worship the Rudra incarnations of Lord Shiva if he wants to be a great hero. One who wants a large stock of grains should worship Aditi. And one, one who desires to attain the heavenly planets should worship the sons of Aditi. One who desires a worldly kingdom should worship Vishvadeva. And one who wants to be popular with the general mass of population should worship the sadhya demigod. One who desires a long span of life should worship the demigods known as the Ashvini Kumaras. Are you following all this? You'll be able to recite it back. And a person desiring a strongly built body should worship the earth. One who desires stability in his post should worship the horizon and the earth combined. One who desires to be beautiful should worship the beautiful residents of the Gandharva planet, and one who desires a good wife should worship the Apsaras and the Urvashi, society girls of heaven, of the heavenly kingdom. One who desires dominion over others should worship Lord Brahma, the head of the universe. One who desires tangible fame should worship the personality of Godhead, and one who desires a good bank balance should worship the demigod, Varuna. If one desires to be greatly learned, a greatly learned man, he should worship Lord Shiva. And if one desires a good marital relation, he should worship the chaste goddess Uma, the wife of Lord Shiva. This is all coming to a a very clear point. So this verse leaves us hanging a little bit. So don't take any of these to heart yet. Purport, there are different modes of worship for different persons desiring success in particular subjects. The conditioned soul living within the purview of the material world cannot be an expert in every type of materially enjoyable asset. But one can have considerable influence over a particular matter by worshipping a particular demigod as mentioned above. Ravana was made a very powerful man by worshipping Lord Shiva. And he used to offer severed heads to please Lord Shiva. He became so powerful by the grace of Lord Shiva that all the demigods were afraid of him. Until he at last challenged the personality of Godhead Sri Ramachandra and thus ruined himself. In other words, all such persons who aspire after gaining some or all of the material objects of enjoyment or the gross materialistic persons are on the whole less intelligent, as confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita 720. It is said there that those who are bereft of all good sense or those whose intelligence is withdrawn by the deluding energy of Maya. Aspire to achieve all sorts of material enjoyment in life by pleasing the various demigods or by advancing in material civilization under the heading of scientific progress. The real problem of life in the material world is to solve the question of birth, death, old age and disease. I have a quiz. What's the real problem of life in the material world? Was that on the SAT? Did they not put it on? Okay. No one wants to change his birthright, no one wants to meet death, no one wants to be old or invalid, and no one wants diseases. But these problems are solved neither by the grace of any demigod nor by the so-called advancement of material science in the bhagavad-gita as well as in the srimad bhagavatam such less intelligent persons have been described as devoid of all good sense Shukadev goswami said that out of eight million four hundred thousand species of living entities the human form of life is rare and valuable and out of those rare human beings those who are conscious of the material problems are rarer still, and the still more rare persons are those who are conscious of the value of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which contains the message of the Lord and his pure devotees. Death is inevitable for everyone, intelligent or foolish, but Preekshet Maharaj has been addressed by the Goswami as the Manashi, Manishi or the man of highly developed mind, because at the time of death, he left all material enjoyment and completely surrendered unto the lotus feet of the Lord by hearing his messages from the right person, Shukadev Goswami. But aspirations for material enjoyment by endeavoring persons are condemned. Such aspirations are something like the intoxication of the, degra- of the degraded human society. Intelligent persons should try to avoid these aspirations and seek instead the permanent life by returning home back to Godhead. I'm going to have to read the next verse because I want to come to that point. One should worship Lord Vishnu or his devotee for spiritual advancement in knowledge and for protection of heredity and advancement of a dynasty, one should worship the various demigods' purport. The path of religion entails making progress on the path of spiritual advancement, ultimately reviving the eternal relation with Lord Vishnu in his impersonal effulgence, his localized paramatma feature, and ultimately his personal feature by spiritual advancement in knowledge. And one who wants to establish a good dynasty and be happy in the progress of temporary bodily relations should take shelter of the Pitas and the demigods and other pious planets. Such different classes of worshipers of different demigods may ultimately reach the respective planets of those demigods within the universe. But he who reaches the spiritual planets in the brahmajyoti achieves the highest perfection. Okay, two more verses. One who desires domination over a kingdom or an empire should worship the manus. One who desires victory over an enemy should worship the demons. And one who desires sense gratification should worship the moon. But one who desires nothing of material enjoyment should worship the supreme personality of Godhead. PURPORT For a liberated person, all the enjoyments listed above are considered to be absolutely useless. Only those who are conditioned by the material modes of external energy are captivated by different types of material enjoyment. In other words, the transcendentalist has no material desires to be fulfilled, whereas the materialist has all types of desires to be fulfilled. The Lord has proclaimed that the materialists who desire material enjoyment and thus seek the favor of different demigods, as above mentioned, are not in control of their senses and so give themselves to nonsense. One should therefore not desire any sort of material enjoyment, being sensible enough to worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The leaders of nonsensical persons are still more nonsensical because they preach openly openly and foolishly that one can worship any form of demigod and get the same result. This sort of preaching is not only against the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita or those in Srimad Bhagavatam, but it is also foolish just as it is foolish to claim that with the purchase of any travel ticket one may reach the same destination. No one can reach Bombay from Delhi by purchasing a ticket for Baroda. It is clearly defined herein that persons impregnated with different desires have different modes of worship, but one who has no desire for material enjoyment should worship the Supreme Lord, Sri Krishna, the Personality of Godhead. And this worshiping process is called devotional service. Pure devotional service means service to the Lord without any tinge of material desires, including desire for fruit of activity and empiric speculation. For fulfillment of material desires, one may worship the Supreme Lord, but the result of such worship is different, as it will be explained in the next verse. Generally, the Lord does not fulfill anyone's material desires for sense enjoyment but he awards such benedictions to worshipers of the Lord, for they ultimately come to the point of not desiring material enjoyment. The conclusion is that one must minimize the desires for material enjoyment, and for this, one should worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is described here as param, or beyond anything material. Shripad Shankaracharya has also stated, Na paro the Supreme Lord is beyond the material encirclement. So basically, we get what we're after. And the material world is set up to accommodate us. So whatever kind of desires that I cultivate will sooner or later fructify in my life. So it's always a good ask oneself, what is the value of what I'm doing now or what I'm after? Is it actually, ultimately, for my... Happiness, will I be satisfied, can I maintain it? And the Srimad Bhagavatam says nothing material ultimately can be maintained. And therefore, we should find the essence of life, which is to be happy through uh, spiritual contact and then figure out how to integrate that into our life as much as possible. Now, I just want to hear what you heard and you can reflect back any of the points to amplify them or if you have a question, so that we go deeper in the subject. Yes, Manjula Kantel.
1: Um, I really like that the list of all these possibilities that you were listing, you know. If you want this, go here. If you want there, go there. And I was thinking that a while back when we were doing some puja back home, um, I was sitting with the pundit and he finished the puja and then he told everyone to go around and he would say, and he was saying, please give us this, please give us that, please give us this. And it was a list of demands. And I was just listening and listening. I said, you just, the whole puja was for something, huh? We want a lot of stuff. He said, give us wealth, give us health, give us life, give us longevity. And it reminded me that, you know, all these things, we, we go to the Lord with so many demands. But if we can just go to the Lord because we want to go to him, then the, the level is so different. Thank you for reminding us.
0: Well, Pahlavi Maharaj, when he was offered benedictions by Lord Nishringadev, said that I don't want anything. I just worship you because that's my relationship. And Nishringadev said, no, no, really take something. He said, well, if you could do good for my father, that's the same father that just tried to kill him. He said, I already did, by default, because you're his son. And he said, so take some benediction. He said, if I'm to ask for any benediction, all I ask for is that there be no material desires within my heart. And he, he showed the standard of happiness for a human being. To have the desire to have no desire, that's also good. If I'm aware of the fact that material desire is what is vexing me here in the material world. I'm chasing after it. And I'm, not, I'm aware that that won't make me happy. So therefore, I engage only as much as necessary with the material world. But then find my satisfaction within. Krishna says that's the standard of a person who's fixed in consciousness. That's just after Arjuna asked Krishna, what is the symptom of somebody who's fixed in consciousness? And Krishna says Prajahati Yadakaman Sarvan Parta Manogatan Atman Yavatmanatushta Stita Pragnasta That there are endless streams of desires being that are produced by the mind, just as in a factory. If you can imagine a little factory where there are unlimited desires being produced and then coming off a conveyor belt, kind of like at Amazon and then they're delivered through what does Amazon use Amazon has its own they're des- delivered through a little Amazon Prime van <laughs> and so there's a little Amazon van, van prime vans pulling up all the time in front of us saying you know would you like this would you like that and so an intelligent person doesn't grab everything only the things he or she needs and has the wherewithal to let the other things go, not touch them. And then he said, such a person, atman tushta. the person is able to find satisfaction in the self, which means by hearing. If we can be satisfied by hearing about Krishna, and we know for certain that that's the main thing that makes me happy in life, then we're fixed in consciousness. And we're not disturbed by the comings and goings of various desires and offers that are made here, there in the material world. And that can be easily attained by somebody who takes to the path of devotional service in the Association of Devotees. One will develop this natural attraction for hearing. And the more that we develop that, the more that we're advanced in the practice of bhakti. Do you mind taking this?
1: We have a question from internet also on that's the good.
0: I always feel bad that we miss those these days since we came back in here. Thanks Adoria Leela for checking in and listening. I'm so glad you wrote something. Um, <clears throat> you wrote that the first thing the first thing I thought uh When I asked what we would do if we had seven days to live, was that I would need to arrange for the care of all my responsibilities. From this, I could deduce that I should avoid responsibilities. Could I shed some light on it? Yeah, it's a good idea to plan ahead and not make it a big surprise. That's why I said everyone should have a revocable living trust if you have any assets. Do you have one? Yeah, one, two, three. Uh, These are um, arrangements from the material side. If you have family members, don't just leave all your assets sitting there exposed because someone might dispute where they go, and then it'll have to go to probate court, and then you lose 30%. That sounds very mundane, but it's getting to a point. And that is that, (laughs) and it's confirmed by Siri getting to a point and that is that uh, we have two aspects to our life material and spiritual and on the material side we should be planning ahead who will uh, take the various responsibilities i've seen people who were aware that they were going to leave soon and they took care of their affairs like a lot of times doctor will tell somebody like steve jobs he mentions this in his uh, speech at uh, was at stanford that the doctor told him that you only have a short amount of time to live. I forget how short it was, but he said, "You should go take care of your affairs, <laughs> which means make sure everything's taken care of. An intelligent person thinks of that ahead of time and makes sure that things are in order. And what speak of responsibilities, it's good to have some delegation already going on ahead of time, so that it's not a big surprise because shouldn't be a surprise at any time anything can happen. Of course, we can't plan for everything. It's amazing how much responsibility one human being has, actually. And we notice it when somebody leaves, even in the most prepared state. Everyone else is left wondering how such a person was able to do so many things and take care of so many people and so forth. And so we should think ahead, plan for it. Not that you should avoid responsibilities, Ardhurya Leela, but that you should plan plan ahead. That's why Prabhupada, when he developed a whole big organization, he already knew, he had warnings, he had two heart attacks when he came. And he knew he was not in great health. And so he planned by making uh, an organization with leadership and then training them up so that they could take over after he left and it wouldn't stop second one is, is from Nam Chintamani, Hare Krishna. Uh, could you please explain what exactly is meant by material desire and what is meant by fruit of activity and mental speculation? <laughs> material desire means uh, those desires that pertain to the body and the mind. And they are based on the premises that I can enjoy the body or the mind and through my senses. And so these types of desires, Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita, or actually Prabhupada summarizes it in one of his purports. He said, by definition, a material desire is a desire that can never be fulfilled. Because there's a way in which every time I try to fulfill a material desire, it then, like a hydra, has many more demands upon me. It's not that I I take it and then that's it. I have to go back and service it again and again. And it becomes more and more demanding in time. So uh, material desire is related to the body, material body and mind. However, if we're engaging the the material senses, uh, we're taking care of them, or we're taking care of the bodies of our family members or whatever property you have just because it's material elements. The intention is important because if your life is centered on self-realization and you have things to take care of, it's reasonable that you would take care of them in a, a responsible way so that you can use them and go on living your life for self-realization. And therefore, in this book, Srimad Bhagavatam, earlier Suta Goswami has said, kamasya nendriya Pritir." That life's desire shouldn't be aimed at gratifying the senses. Rather, you should live a healthy life of self-preservation so that you can inquire about the absolute truth. And uh, what is meant by fruit of activity and mental speculation. Fruit of activity means that I want a result for myself from my work and I want to keep it to enjoy it the opposite of that is to work with a sense that I'm working for Krishna I'm working for God and the result of my work is his because he's providing all the resources he's the one giving me the intelligence to enact the work and besides what what can I enjoy the only way that we really enjoy is by doing service And so whatever material things I have, if I'm considering them mine and trying to covet them and keep them just for my own enjoyment, this is called fruit of activity. Boy, the board's going and going now. And uh, what is meant by mental speculation? Mental speculation starts off with, I think. And rather than saying that, one should back up what... With what one says, or what one opines, by giving a reference from the Srimad Bhagavatam, or the Bhagavad Gita. Based on Bhagavad Gita, this is a good idea or a bad idea. And if I go outside the authority of the Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita, it's called mental speculation. Ramananda Sakha, what should I do?
1: There is one more now on the screen.
0: (laughs) How do you advance in spiritual life if things in your material life are like a thorn? At times, I think about Kunti Maharani. Was her pain essential for her spiritual upliftment? Yeah. Material life is rather thorny, isn't it? Yep. And... At times, Ruchi th- thinks about Kunti Maharani. She's a, a, one of the characters in the Srimad Bhagavatam, who's a queen. And she was maintaining a, a, a family of five kids. And she didn't have a lot of help. So uh, she went through a lot of trouble uh, in her life. However, her mentality, her her thought was that, okay, let these troubles come in again and again, because when they do come, that's when I notice that I really dig deep and take shelter of Krishna. Other times, maybe not as much. So she came to this point of relishing the obstacles in life because she realized that it put her in an ideal situation in her consciousness. And this is something to be aspired for. That, okay, there's two questions we can ask when something happens to us in our life. Let's just say we have a reversal of fortune. Not wheel of fortune, reversal of fortune. So reversal of fortune, can you name a reversal of fortune that, that could visit someone in his or her life? Just categories, give me. Yes, Navina Prabhu. All your investments bottom out. Or it turns out that the guy who took them wasn't really online at all. <laughs> and there was a... You actually owe money. <laughs> That's a reversal of fortune. <laughs> the can't lose investment they asked you to invest in and you put everything into it is it's gone and so was the website that asked you to, <laughs> to invest in. <laughs> uh, can we have two more uh, reversals for 500 yes job. Job. reversals of fortune job. job loss okay you come in one day and there's um, men in uniforms waiting for you with a couple of file boxes and this is true and they, they say okay buy and give us your keys and all your cards everything and leave don't come back one more what illness, yeah, illness can visit us and then perfectly healthy body, everything was going on well and now everything's changing in my life, so during these reversals of fortune there's a way in which uh, our mind can go one of two ways and the two ways that it can go are exemplified by two different questions so one question is why me? have you ever heard that one? from your own mind. Why me? I don't deserve this. And the other one is, what's the lesson? What is the lesson in this? This is the default mode. Why me? But the Srimad Bhagavatam teaches, and Kunti Devi is teaching, if you can train yourself by degrees throughout this life so that when anything happens to you, good or bad, you say, what's the lesson? And most people don't say, why me, when something good happens. They say, of course, me. (laughs) So one of the quintessential verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam is given by Brahma when he says, a person who has refined him or herself so much so that as he or she faces the various reversals of life, says, what's the lesson in this? And also develops an appreciation for it that I'm given a chance to learn a lesson that I wouldn't have learned on my own. This is a classroom that I'm in in this life, in this universe, and I'm learning lessons. And you may have noticed this. I've noticed it, the phenomena of teachable moments. Uh, So often the ego, the false ego, appropriates everything that I do and says, yes, of course, of course. And then when there's a a time of great danger, for instance, or when there's a time of reversal, we can see our raw self and see, I am helpless. I really don't have anyone else in this world. This is the teachable moment that Kunti Devi mentions as being the mainstay of her life. Let them these things come again and again because I can see you, Krishna, during these times of of great uh, reversal or when I'm, I'm challenged to the utmost. As we have this, there's an old saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. I may spout so much uh, philosophy about how there can't be any God and so forth, but when it comes down to facing my own mortality, then... I change and I feel, uh, how do I take shelter? Okay, there was uh, several more. Okay, Melanie.
1: Hi, Krishna Prabhu. Prabhu, on on one hand, uh, we see all these fortunate kids who get to practice the spiritual life right from their very birth. Um, On the other hand, there might be some people who want to practice spirituality. but they are restricted because they are not in a family of devotees and they are still children, so they are not um, allowed to do the things that they want to do. So today I was speaking to somebody and he was really morose. So he was asking, why is it I am in a situation where it's very difficult for me for everything I need to do in spirituality? So how would we answer uh, such a question? Prabhu?"
0: the question of why uh, such a person is in that situation is a little hard to trace out. However, we can observe that somebody who, for instance, is born into a favorable situation for devotional service doesn't always take advantage of it. Someone might take it for granted. In fact, there's Another teaching from Kunti Devi, when she mentions that one should be a kinchina. in order to actually get traction in spiritual life, she said you should be a kinchina. So let me say what that means. Kinchana means something, and akinchana means know something. Everything, no. <laughs> akinchana. So uh, know anything. I don't have anything. It's it's a, it's an observation, actually, that I really don't have any... Whatever things I think I have, they're not actually mine. When did they become mine? Even this body's not mine. It's coming and going. It belongs to somebody else. And it'll, uh, I'll be off this Uber ride very soon. And you know, I'll have to pay the bill somewhere else. That's karma. So, a means this idea that I, I'm actually uh, not the owner of anything. I don't have anything. And the opposite of that is a mood of entitlement. Entitlement means, can you look it up? Give the exact definition of entitlement. It's, it's really good. I mean, it's not good to feel entitled, but the definition makes it very clear. And these two, these two attitudes are at odds with one another. And the, the mood of akinshina, which we're going to hear, forthwith. Go ahead. Whoever's got the mic wins. But they all share. Thank you.
1: The belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment.
0: Say that one more time.
1: The belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment.
0: Inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. So if i'm in that mood then it doesn't matter what my external environment is it's very difficult for me to have any gratitude and therefore to get attraction so the opposite is if i feel bereft i don't have any advantage whatsoever then such a person may very sincerely cry out that you know please help and that can be greatly advantageous it doesn't mean that a person who has all the advantages can't make more advancement because if such a person then takes advantage of them and realizes uh, has this mood of a and not entitlement then he or she can take advantage of it so it's i would tell such a person it's devotional service and spiritual advancement has nothing to do with our external circumstances it's It's really uh, our inner mood that makes all the difference in the world. And there are many examples of this in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Some people are, are bereft of any material advantage, and others have kingly opulence and association with devotees, but they don't take advantage of it. Shishupal was in the same family with Krishna, but he pretty much blew it his whole life because he had the wrong attitude. So, um, then we have from from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Lila, Kulavecha Sridhar. He was the poorest man in town, And apparently disjointed from society because he was so much of an outcast, but he was the most beloved of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who was Krishna himself. So, it's not dependent on external circumstances. Just Cultivate the desire within, and uh, all other needed resources will be supplied by uh, Krishna within the heart, if one has that sincerity. Charles. Hare Krishna. We've got a mic with your name on it coming right back to you. Yeah, so my question is around um,
1: why we have all of these um, material desires or options available to us. Um, if, you know, in the long-term they can lead to trouble, um, that's not the right way to go. My suspicion is so that we can use this opportunity to really learn to overcome them so that we can truly be free, but wanted to hear your thoughts around that.
0: What an excellent question. And uh, your inkling is exactly the way I was going to begin to answer. Is Our ultimate position in life, that is what's called our sanatan dharma, our constitutional eternal position, which is full of happiness and eternality and knowledge, is in relationship with the supreme source of everything, Krishna. And when we desire something separate from that, Krishna gives us an opportunity after which we can never say, you didn't give me enough choices. Why 8,400,000 species of life? That's mentioned in this purport that we just read a few minutes ago. What are the different species of life? There are opportunities for the soul to go into a particular body and enjoy flying, and then swimming, and digging up the earth with one's tusks, uh, eating people whole. Did you ever think about that? You'd like to, just like, you know, somebody use their turn signal. You're like, I wish I was a tiger. I could just like. No, you never thought like that. Uh, there. Well, all those positions are available in in an unabated uh, opportunity. So after one goes through all these various positions, uh, and Krishna gives free will because he wants unadulterated love. Love means that the soul decides, no, I want to do this. I surrender on my own. And it's not forced into it. Therefore, Krishna, out of love for every living entity, says, I'll provide you whatever you want. It's not what I want for you, but I'll make it available to you. Like some benevolent person gets a divorce, and then person I never want to see you again. But they continue uh, and change the name so they don't even know where the payments are coming from. So that the person's not disturbed thinking, it's coming from that person that I don't like. But the, the resources are all coming in, all being supplied, and the person stays out of, out of sight. And so Krishna gives us that full facility to, to take our free will and invest it wherever we wish. But when we come to perfect knowledge and we decide that, no, I want, I want to give myself to devotional service to Krishna, then it's uh, coming from us. It's not because we are forced into it. And that's where we have the opportunity for unadulterated love. Was that how you were thinking when you gave that partial answer? Yes, thanks. Okay, thanks, Charles. Okay, yes. Pavani Bhakti. We have four mics, so they're ideally circulated.
1: Thank you, Maharaj, for the lovely class. Uh, after hearing today's purport, I was thinking like Krishna also says in the Bhagavad Gita that uh, following the various paths, the Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, Ashtanga Yoga, finally you have to directly follow the Bhakti Yoga. This, you will automatically get everything else. And similarly, today he is saying, you know, you pray all these demigods, um, but Finally, your ultimate goal is to achieve me, so don't waste time in uh, worshipping the demigods. You'll get what you want anyways when you worship me. So I was relating both the two parallels, and then I was remembering that this morning when we were doing a woman's circle in Bhakti uh, Bhakti um, Bhakti community, a similar question came up where the question was asked that you know if Krishna is all pervading, and He knows is in the is a super soul and He knows what is right, what is wrong. How come he's how come the demigods then give these desires are fulfilled? Why don't the demigods understand that these desires which are being asked by Hiranyakashipu Kashipu or Brahmasura they are all wrong? So um, Ananda Vrindavan Mataji talked about the free will and then today's verse it's really proved that Krishna gives you what you desires and you yourself just said that, you know, he's he gives you his unadulterated love uh, based on what your desires are. So you can try it out, but in the end you'll realize that achieving Him is the only purpose of life. So I was able to connect all these things today. Thank you, Mara. Mm,
0: thank you. Actually, Brahma didn't think it was a great idea to give anything to Hiranyakashipu, or at least not what he was asking for. In fact, he mentioned that don't take benedictions that you can't handle. And really, the lesson there is that you really can't handle any kind of benediction except for the one Prahlad asked for, which is let there be no material desires in my heart. That's the contrast. That Hiranyakashipu wanted everything and Prahlad didn't want anything. Who's better? Who's better off, I should say? What do you think? Let's vote. Hiranyakashipu? Come on, somebody vote for... And then Prahlad Maharaj. Yes, we intuit that, but... you know, we have to nudge ourselves over to that side through the process of devotional service. But it also indicates something else. The world's complicated. Brahma and other demigods, they have a symbiotic relationship with other living beings that they're maintaining. For instance, the Bhagavad, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna mentions that there's this wheel of sacrifice. Again, not wheel of fortune. And it's all about... the the course of sacrifices that living entities perform and then the demigods are obligated to give them something in return. So there is a sense in that pastime with Hiranyakashipu that Brahma felt a little obligated. And one of the reasons, the main reason that there's obligation is if one has material attachment. So the demigods had a material attachment. They they have a vested interest in the material world. That's why they didn't want their... um, if I may use the vernacular, they didn't want their scene messed up because they, they, had a, they have a good thing going. And it's a nice business arrangement here in the material world. You do the sacrifice, we get the results, we keep the lights on. And so if, if I get comfy here in the material world and I think, like, I've got something to gain from this world, then I have fear. And so Brahma and the other demigods had a sense of fear of Hiranyakashipu. That's why Brahma came down, because all the demigods get together and said, you know, somebody's getting some power down there through austerity, and they're going to challenge our stuff. And of course, it was too late. He already had racked up the frequent flyer miles enough <laughs> to take over all, <laughs> all the seats. And... That was that was a problem for the demigods, but there, you know, at the end, Vishnu says, you know, try not to do that anymore. <laughs> but it's hard not to, and the demigods also were afraid when Hiranyakashipu was fighting with Nishringadev because they were really rooting for Nishrindave to vanquish him. But then, when Hiranyakashipu got away, actually he didn't get away the Shrinkadev let him go because like cats, they play with a mouse and they're like, Okay, go for a little run a little more because <laughs> I want I want to catch you again. <laughs> like, got you. <ya." laughs> There's no one never going anywhere. But it looked to them like maybe this guy got away. They were really afraid because they thought now he saw us rooting for the enemy. And now but Prahlad was not afraid at all. And the reason was that he didn't have any material desire. He would had everything to lose. And so the way to be happy is to be like Prahlad. Don't have anything to lose. Don't have this sense that I have a best interest in the material world. It's all for Krishna. You don't lose anything. In fact, you don't lose credit by giving credit and you also don't lose any kind of enjoyment. It's the opposite. You don't lose any happiness by giving everything to Krishna. Because he's giving it to us anyway. And if you give it to Krishna and that's then you're not bound by it, by the reaction to it. And who enjoys more, the king or the servant of the king? Every time, hands down, because king's got to worry about the kingdom. Servant just has to worry about serving the king. And, and he lives in the quarters in the same palace, but he doesn't have to worry about anything except just being a servant. And that's Prahlad. Prahlad says, I'm just a servant. You read his prayers. He goes through every, everywhere and says, I'm just a servant of the servant, a servant of your servants. And he said, take a benediction. Don't want anything. He really didn't. I don't want anything. So that's where devotional service really starts, is to have that really clear idea that not only don't want anything, I don't need anything. It's already being supplied. If the squirrels in Burlingame are getting a free fur coat every October without shopping at Nordstrom? Nordstrom, what is it? G- Gimbles? Uh, <laughs> does that even exist? Gimbles? Um, Nordstrom, Macy's, Free Coat, free gift from for the squirrels. Then why wouldn't why wouldn't I get? You know, Christian's already taken care of. Don't ask him for stuff. Anything silly like that. He's already giving. Yes.
1: Thank you for the class, Madhaj. I had a question when we were just reading about this. So sometimes I, when I was young, we used to go to the like Ganpati temple, then uh, Mahalakshmi temple, Devi temples. So right now also, when I visit India, um, we go. I go with my family to visit a temple. So. It, in that time i understand that it's not um, we are not going uh, we are not supposed to worship the demigods but what should be our mood we are not supposed to even uh, have a, uh, this thing but i don't want to offend my family also if we are going all together so what should be our mood in that you can our- go
0: there's no harm lord chaitanya mahaprabhu went to all the various temples but most importantly and the ones we can emulate, of course we can most importantly emulate Lord Chaitanya too, but I'm just bringing this to the, the pinnacle of all devotees are the gopis: a Raja Bhagavan Vrinda, Ramya Raja If uh, Mahaprabhu's opinion is, if you want to see the best devotees and how they do it, follow the gopis. So what do they do? do they worship any demigods? Yeah, they did. A lot. Katya Yani. I mean, they, they had a whole vrut going on. They were only eating Havishan, so you have to do this. Havishan. <laughs> havishan is really good. <laughs> it's just mung hm, mung hm and rice. No spices whatsoever. You ever done this? It's great fun. You should try it. Yeah, of course Hansa Priya's done it. Um, she's a some tapasvi from a cave from her last life. But, you know, you, you just eat... And there's no enjoyment in it also. In fact, during masya, you put it on, the, of course, make a nice clean place on the floor. You put it on the floor, no plate. Put your hands behind your back. And then you can, you can eat as much as you can while you're there. This is a Sunday program, right? You can, What <laughs> <laughs> we'll have tonight. Um, as much as you can eat while you're there. And then you get up and then that's it. How did I get into that? Oh, the gopis. Yeah, they were eating Havishan. Only Havishan and every day praying to Yani, But what was their prayer? Let Krishna be our husband. We just want to marry Krishna and nobody else. So uh, it's, you know, it's not, we shouldn't neglect the demigods. Uh, They they are Krishna's limbs. You just see them in the right uh, perspective. And if you see the demigods, you say, please when you go to that Lakshmi temple, you please say, please fund Motel Gita <laughs> <laughs> for the next 10 years. But be polite. Be very polite. And, you know, if you so desire Lakshmi ji Or ask for pure devotional service the devas. And also, if you're going to have any devas at home, they should face the altar. And when you're done When you take the prasad, you give them. They want prasad. They don't want you to come over and give them some boga in front of Krishna. They're devotees. So you just have to know who they are and respect them properly. And everything's fine. Read the Brahma Samhita. It goes through all the devas and how they're being empowered by Govinda. So uh, we've come to the end of this portion of our Sunday program. And... We thank everybody for joining us online from various places around the world. So good to see you all, Hare Krishna. And thank you very much, everyone, for braving the near hurricane here in California to come to this uh, temple. And now we're going to move the seats back into a neat pile in the back. We'll roll up this rug and we'll have a beautiful, take advantage of this beautiful wooden floor for dancing in front of the deities. Thank you so much, Hare Krishna.